Let's begin with this question. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Simply put, what if you get what you want? What do you want? You want a relationship? You want money? You want attention? You want fame? What do you want? Let's say you get that. But you don't even get God. Is that enough for you? If you get everything you want and God is absent, is that victory at all? It's not. It's not. You know, I, I remember reading in the book of Acts three times Paul tells his testimony. Do you remember what his testimony was? This is what he said. My Jewish brothers, I was so hardcore for God. I was a Pharisee. I made you all look like nursery characters. I was the best at everything. I know what I'm doing. I know scripture backwards and forwards. I was always in synagogue. I was so intense for God that I put Christians in jail because the very thought that they would dare violate my God infuriated me. I'm not going to stand for it. I made sure that if they went far enough that they would die. When Stephen, the very first martyr, was killed, I'm there holding everybody's jacket so they can grab a rock and not have to hold on to their coat, but they can throw it as hard as they can. That is me. I'm walking down the road one day with my friends, and a light shines, blinds me. I fall to the ground. And I hear this voice say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know what I said? Who are you? I don't even know God's voice. I'm so zealous for him. I'm all in. I do everything. My whole life is wrapped up in religion and around him. Yet when he calls, I don't even know it's him. How did I do everything and miss it? Do you know how humiliating that is? I gained the whole world. I was the man. I was the master of all religion. Everybody respected me. And I lived my everyday existence doing all the right rituals, doing all the right prayers, going to temple, doing everything. And I don't even know God's voice. So I ask you. If God calls, do you even know what he sounds like? Oh, I get you're a good person. I appreciate how you've sacrificed for your family. I like that you're a hard worker. These things are good. But if you don't know God's voice, what did you gain? The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. Success without God isn't success. Success without God isn't success. Let me give you a recap from last week. Last week we talked about how we use things in this world to get what we want. But our processes are broken. Our end results are skewed. We talked about how we have placed things in front of God in our priority list called idols. We know those because they take our focus away from him. And when they clash with him, we side with them. 
We learn that it is foolishness to trust in anything other than God if he is actually real and running the world. We learn that if we can build it, it's not our savior. We learn that if it's just a thing, it's not that great. And we don't want dissatisfaction anymore. We need the real deal. We need God. We are in part 18 of our series called the Wake Up Series to the book of Isaiah. And I entitled today's message, Awaken to Idolatry, part two. Last time we talked about the idols in our lives. We asked questions to figure out what they were. What are the things that are competing for our attention? What are the things that we bow down to? What are the things that we serve? What are the things we chase after in this life that are not God? What has insidiously taken the seed of Christ in our lives? We talked about that and how to root that out and get that stuff. And that's a valid, important conversation. But an equally valid, if not more, con- more important conversation is what are we going to fill it with? God doesn't just say, you got to get rid of everything. He says you need to fill yourself with me. As a matter of fact, it seems that God almost indicates that it's healthier, easier, and better that you would have the Holy Spirit filled so much that it forces out the garbage. Because here's the problem. You and I cannot live in a vacuum, which means every time you rid yourself of something, something backfills it. Uh, I don't know if you've ever um, tried to scoop out water when there's still water pouring into something, and every time you scoop it out, it fills back up. And that's that maddening feeling of going, I think I'm going insane, right? The whole time you're scooping out the water. It's the same way. We spend so much time in church talking about, man, get rid of this, get rid of this, get rid of this, get rid of this, and we go on and on and on. And the whole time we're ridding things out, but then it backfills. I have so much respect for 12-step programs. And you're not going to hear anything negative from me about them. I respect AA. I love Celebrate Recovery. But you know what? It reveals things when the human body has to try to go through a detox program. It shows us how it works. And here's why. Well, I used to be addicted to drugs. Now I'm addicted to alcohol. I was addicted to alcohol, and now I'm addicted to sex. And I was addicted to sex, but now I'm addicted to coffee. I was addicted to coffee, but now I'm addicted to... Whenever we root out, we backfill. You cannot remain empty. Something's coming back in there. So I wonder how much of our attention should be about filling in more of God so that we want to force out, or it naturally forces out other stuff. We live without. Maybe we need to learn how to live with. With something else. So much of the passage we're about to study is God reminding us who he is. Why he is the most awesome. Why we're not just saying, well, he's better than hell. Because that's ultimately where we've been. That's ultimately what our church has served up over the decades and centuries and millennia. You don't want to go to hell, do you? Every time that question is asked, do you understand the problem with that? I understand it's real. I understand it's fact. 
but it creates God fearers, not lovers of God. And that becomes a problem because later on the motivation is askew. Nobody ever answers the question. Yes, I want hell. Yes, I do, actually. No one's going to answer it that way. It's always going to be, well, yeah, I want anything other than hell. You could say, do you want nasty ice cream that's been dropped in the street, or do you want hell? I'd take the ice cream. You see what I mean? It's not doing God any favors by throwing out eternal torment or him. It's a fact, but it doesn't produce right hearts. The Bible says that the indicator and what we must have in order to have eternal life is a personal relationship with a personal God in a very intimate way. If you don't know God's voice, if you don't know him personally, you're not going there. It doesn't matter whether you're scared or not. And we can't just create fear. We must create love. That's a whole different ballgame. And if you are here because you're scared of hell, we have not yet matured. You ought to be here because you're going to learn about the person you love the most. That's why you ought to be here. But when you have the greater thing, the other thing you want less. I think that one of the greatest indicators of my life that I don't love God enough is that I still love sin. I still actually want to. I I spend the majority of my time not sinning because I should not. Not because I don't want to. You know what I'm talking about? But if you have the better, the lesser should no longer intrigue you. Give you an analogy, right? Three people, this is really going to move you. Okay? All the rest of you can go. That is the stupidest analogy I've ever heard. All right? You ready? Here we go. Drop this, drop this bomb on you. I thought of this myself. All right. Yeah. Yeah. You ready? Here we go. Here we go. I know. I'm ready. I'm loosening up. Here we go. Pong was awesome till Atari. I wrote that myself. I know. You know what I'm saying? You know? All right. I know. I know. Stick with me here. (laughs) Everyone's like, I don't even know what Pong is. All right. (laughs) If you're over 38, you should know what Pong is. What is wrong with you? Pong was awesome until Atari, which was awesome until Nintendo. That's when the rest of you were born. That was awesome until Xbox, Wii, and PlayStation, which will be awesome until what? If you have the new, no one's trying to go, man, I really got to give up that Pong habit. Nobody cares. It's lame. That's the whole point. All right. Y'all need a, a car analogy. My first car as a Pinto was awesome until... Y'all with me now? All right. All right. Okay. It was awesome until I realized that it blows up when you get rear-ended, which was awesome until the car of my dreams, Geostorm, awesome till I realized it was disposable. Okay. Y'all understand? Nobody's longing for those things anymore. Because they're just embarrassing in light of the new. That's all I'm trying to tell you. Right? By the way, all the ladies are like, you got no analogy for me. That was lame, man. I got to tell you this. I had no analogy that did not sound like I was insulting you. And I'm like, I don't want all the women to hate me. So I didn't come up with one. So this morning, this is literally what I did. I'm ironing my clothes and I go, babe, what's a good analogy for? I'm trying to ask my wife. And she goes, Lance. 
I'm working on my outfit right now. <laughs> like, dang it! Shoot! Just so you know. Turn with me to Isaiah 45, verse 14. Isaiah 45, 14, page 606 in the Bibles under the seat in front of you. If you need one of those, join in with us. It says this, thus says the Lord, the wealth of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and the Sabians, men of stature, shall come over to you and be yours. They shall follow you. They shall come over in chains and bow down to you. They will plead with you, saying, Surely God is in you, and there is no other, no God besides him. Truly you are a God who hides himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. What did you say? He said in the millennial kingdom, when Jesus returns, the world's going to be turned upside down. And Israel will actually be the ones that know the truth. And the rest of the nations will run to them to be able to find out who God is. The reason why this is important for us is I want to talk to you about how quickly things can change. I've taught many messages in the past about our world situation, how what was once a superpower is now merely a vacation destination. We have all seen our maps change over the time. We've all seen things that we never dreamed possible, not only be possible, but were realized in our lifetime. The reason why that matters is because we as a church go, man, the church is so apathetic and it's so weak and there's no, there's no power coursing through it. And man, we're getting kicked out of schools. We're getting kicked out of court systems. We're getting kicked out of the U.S. And pretty soon persecution's going to come. And we're always the lower man on the totem pole. And we have no authority. And this nation is just going to hell and blah, blah, blah. What if God changes all that? What if God determines that he's not going to have his son return for another couple hundred years and he wants revival to come upon America? What if he decides that he's going to flip everything on its head? Can he do that? Yes, he can. Amen. He can do that. And he will dictate and determine what happens in his world. There was no way Israel would ever believe they were the little beat up ones. There's no way that mighty Egypt, who had all the flash and all the flair, was ever going to bow down and ask them anything, much less want to know about their God. That became very personal personal to me this morning. I'm driving in here, and I'm thinking about a guy that I have been praying for his salvation since high school. I have not prayed for anyone outside of my family that long, except for one man. For whatever reason, God has placed him in my heart. I don't even have much contact with this guy. He was a buddy in high school, but I can't let it go. I cannot imagine this man getting saved. But if God deems it so, he will reach in and grab that guy by the heart and transform everything. I believe that. And you must believe that God can do anything. All of them, verse 16, all of them are put to shame and confounded. Who? The makers of idols go into confusion together. That's us. But Israel is saved by the Lord with everlasting salvation. And as you trust in him, Israel, you shall not be put to shame or confounded to all eternity. Quick question. When it all comes down, what God are you standing next to? And is your God even standing at all? 
And if indeed there is only one God, are you investing in a relationship with the one who will be there when the song ends? Verse 18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is God, who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. I didn't speak in secret like the mystical religions in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I said, if you want me, you can find me. I, the Lord, speak the truth and I declare what is right. There are no other options of God. That is a fact. Well, Lance, I don't know if I agree with you. You know what I'm saying? Because there's a lot of different perspectives on that, you know, and kind of the way that I formulate my world. I don't care what you think. I only care about what is. And just you saying it doesn't make it right. You believing it doesn't make it right. Either it is or it's not. What you think about it doesn't matter. If you believe yourself to be safe and yet you are in danger, you are in danger. I don't care what you think about it. If you believe yourself to be in danger but you truly are safe, then you are safe. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. And the reality is, according to God's word, there is one God and there are no other options. So whatever creativity we can come up with to fashion our own religion, to be able to bring in our own gods, they don't matter. And they're not going to count in the end. And I get it. When we talk about this whole thing of uh, God's bigger than this and there are no other ones and he's your only option. Here's my problem with that whole discussion. It almost sounds like I'm authenticating this idea of God as your ticket to heaven. And that's it. That is entirely unfair. Here's the reality of it. A personal God created us to be with him, and the fact that we're not right now is a travesty. We must burn into our minds that eternal life does not begin at death. It begins at the moment of belief. When Jesus comes back, he should not be shockingly different than you imagine. He should be strikingly familiar that you have already been walking with him for years. When Jesus comes back, what will you see? Let us not, as much as it's glorious, and I don't mean to diminish it, but let us not just leave God is our savior. If we leave him just as our savior, everything comes about him taking care of sins and then we move on with our lives. Let us not just leave him as savior, but let us allow him to transfer from savior to king, from king to Lord, from Lord to father. Verse 20, a paraphrase, let all idolaters those that make idols, gather together to argue with me, God said. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. He said, present your case. What you got? Verse 21. There is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a savior. There is none besides me. Let's talk about the gods we've been serving. How is their past performance working out for us? What we have trusted, is it actually working? One of my favorite phrases in the Bible is, come, let us reason together. Going, come on, everybody, God gave you a brain, let's use that. How is it working out for us? Has the money bought the relationships you desired? 
If you lose your money, does your life change? Has the fame you hope for given you the stability and affirmation you crave? Or has it only fastened your mask on for fear of losing it? Has the pursuit of beauty ever finally locked in so you now can relax? Or does your body continue to change and flaws continue to reveal themselves? How are the gods working out? Jesus said a phrase that unfortunately does not lock into our system. So I'm going to try to help us in that. He said a powerful phrase. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Most of us listen to that and we're like, heavy laden. We're, yeah, I mean, I'm exhausted. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, he was kind of talking about religion. He was. Here's why. Jesus came as a Jew to minister to Jews in the ancient world. You know what's cool in Jewish ancient society? Religion. You know what their God was? Religion. So, of course, he's going to attack the number one God of their society. Their society was wrapped around it. Anyone that was cool was religious. If you wanted to be powerful and influential, you were religious. If you wanted to be in the in group, you went to synagogue. If you wanted to have a lot of friends and have a lot of support, if you wanted to be affirmed and approved, you were religious. So why wouldn't Jesus attack the number one God in their society? He said, when you get tired of playing that game, then come to me and you will finally find rest. Well, that makes sense in context. If Jesus came into our society, into our homes and our hearts, what would he say instead? He probably wouldn't use that line. He would probably say this, come to me, all you who want to be affirmed, and I will give you identity and wholeness. He would say, come to me, you who want to rush. To break out of the boredom of your mediocre existence. And I will tell you how to truly live. He would say, come to me, all you who long for relationships that will fill you up. And I'll show you a real one of just you and I together. Don't get me wrong. God will not give you what you want. He will give you what you need that is underlying the craving that is destroying you. And only then will you have rest. Verse 22, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I am God. There is no other by myself. I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that will not return, meaning it will be true to me. Every knee will bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. That is a fact. There are some of us here today that need to get saved and we need to get baptized because we have a baptism today. Why not take today as an opportunity to engage with God? Save, save from what? Save from the fact that the violations of your life, unless they are cleaned up by Jesus, will condemn you. That's what you need to be saved from. Well, I don't know if I believe that. Remember, what did I tell you earlier? It don't matter what you believe. I'm just telling you what it is. What will we do about the violations we have against God? If you don't know him, there is animosity. 
well, I don't, I don't feel bad about God. I mean, he's cool. I didn't say from your side. I said from his side. Had I known then what I know now, let's play that game. I don't know how many of you ever saw the movie Schindler's List. If you're under 12, that's rough. Brutal movie, yeah, about the Holocaust. Schindler, a man that helped Jews escape out of the Holocaust by using his money and his prestige and influence. At the end of the movie, there's a striking scene that I will not soon forget. I haven't seen this movie for years. I saw it when it first came out. Still can't let it go. At the end, all these Jews were coming around him to thank him for saving their lives. And he realized my money purchased their freedom. But he rolled up in a super nice car with a nice ring and all this wealth. And it dawned on him. What have I done? Now that I'm looking them in the face, how many are not present in this scenario? How many other faces and voices, because I wanted my cool car, weren't able to make it here? And he said, this car could have been six more. This ring could have been two more. Had he known then what he knew now, he would have lived differently. I ask you this. When Jesus returns, are we going to play that game? Had I known back when I was living, Lord that you were real and that you were loving and that everything came into perspective and that you weren't the big bad guy I thought you were and you were honestly one that cared about me, that was loving and kind and gracious and forgiving, that wanted a relationship with me. Had I known then, Lord, what I know now, what will you see when Jesus returns? Will you see your accuser? Will you see the great judge or will you see your daddy show up and you've been waiting for him to get there because you were tired of him being gone on his trip away? When I walk in after uh, being gone for a week, I can hear my girls running inside while I'm turning the key to the door. And I hear a scream, daddy's home. By the time I open the door... They will race each other down the stairs, become rather aggressive on the way, <laughs> to be the first one to run up and give me a hug. Is that the return of Jesus that you're looking for? Only in the Lord shall it be said of me, God said, our righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all those that are angry at him. In the Lord all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. There are so many of us here that hate God, and we just won't admit it. We resent Him for failing us, but we have judged wrong. He is not a failure. He so said, you want to talk about your gods? Bell bows down. These are all Babylonian gods. Verse 1, Bell bows down, Nebo stoops, the idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as beatings on weary beasts. They bow down, they stoop together, they cannot save the burden, they themselves go into captivity. What's the point? False gods don't save. In order to be rescued from this world, we have to be rescued by someone or something outside of this universe. If you are trusting on anything within your reality, it is not sufficient. That cannot rescue you. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, from birth to old age, you're mine. I will carry you and I will save you. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? 
Do you remember two weeks ago when Casey was preaching and he was talking about the concept of God being holy, of being other? He said he's not like anyone. Here's our problem. Most of us don't love God more because we think he's a lot like and we mention someone. Stop denying God based on your disappointment with other people. Because he's not like them. You go, well, we were made in the likeness. No, it only goes one direction. We are a little bit like him, but he's not like us. It doesn't run the other direction. And if you consistently go, I don't want to do that because all these Christians and all this church and all this family, I just, whatever, I don't, it's not impressive to me. Well, that's good because God's not like us. He's altogether different. Those who lavish gold from their purse and weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith and make it into a god, then they fall down and worship it. They lift it on their own shoulders. They have to carry it. They set it in its place and it just stands there. It can't even move from its place. If you cry out to it, it doesn't answer or save him from his trouble. How do you know if something works? Plug it in. Right? I mean, isn't that the way it's supposed to roll? I love thrift store shopping, but the problem with thrift store shopping is you're purchasing something that someone else discarded. And you don't know if they discarded it because it doesn't work. So in like Goodwills, they have the testing station where you can plug stuff in. Now, if you're going to go in, you want to know if a lamp works, you're going to buy it. All you got to do is plug it in. If it turns on, it works. But what you do not do is crack an egg on it and go, this lamp is worthless. I've been sitting here for 45 minutes and it hasn't cooked my egg at all. Do not judge something when that's not its purpose. We have judged God and found him wanting because he makes a terrible genie. Guess what? That's not the criteria. He does not fail in who he is and what he does. He may fail your expectations of what you want him to do for you. That's different. Verse 8. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you lawbreakers. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Everything I declare will come true as I rule history in the future. Look at verse 12. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off. My salvation will not delay. And I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. You know what that means? The king's coming back. And he's riding in. Who will you see? What will it profit a man if he gains all that he wants but does not know God? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Lord, your word has echoed out into our hearts in a most powerful way. Lord, it's still resounding even now and you have issued challenges to all of us. There are things that we must wrestle with. There are things that we must reconcile. And I just pray, Lord, that they would be so. Holy Spirit, come upon us. Move through your word. Transform us and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Closing challenge is this. What thing in your life, if taken away, would alter your value or identity? What thing outside of God do you put everything else on hold for? Pray and ask God to deliver you from things that are exceedingly more important than he is in your life.